Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health. And this episode today is the third of a four-part series on Ellen Satter's eating competency skills. If you haven't been tuned in yet, I would definitely suggest just pausing the podcast here and coming back after you've checked out the Food Acceptance and Eating Attitudes podcasts. Ellen Satter's eating competency skills are considered around here at Opal the, the foundation of intuitive and attuned eating. So we're spending four parts on this because it really is that important. And we want to lay out some of the things that are really key to understanding a relationship to food that's not just about the what of what you eat, it's the how of how you eat. Today we're going to be talking about what Ellen Satter considers more of the backbone of these eating competence skills. And these are contextual skills. Opal co-founder and nutrition director Julie Church will be joining me to talk about these skills again, and you'll hear her quote Satter defining the contextual skills as regular, reliable, and rewarding food. So without further ado, let's get to it. Julie, welcome back. Hi. Before we start talking about contextual skills, can you rewind us a little bit and give us some context around what eating competency is and what we've talked about so far? So we are doing this four-part series uh, based on Ellen Satter's work. She's a dietitian and social worker. And one of the tools that she created was the Eating Competency Inventory. And it is something that assesses the how of eating. And in our world um, and sort of my career development, I have seen it such a great tool because it helps us answer the question that people so desperately want to know is, am I eating healthy or what's a healthy eater really look like? And instead of getting so particular about the what of an eater, this dives into the how of an eater. So how is somebody approaching their food relationship and how are they eating? So these four parts, we have done an episode on food acceptance skills, one on eating attitudes, and then today we are doing contextual skills, and the next episode last and last episode will be internal regulation skills. So I'm really getting excited because these last two are connected very much so in my mind. And the contextual skill, as Ellen Satter defines it, is, is the backbone of eating competence. So do you want to hear more? I really do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, okay, why would she say that it's the backbone? So if those of you have listened to food acceptance skills and eating attitudes, you know, we talked about enjoyment and feelings and beliefs and how those very much so impact uh, how we eat in our food relationship. And this is getting down to the basics. It's getting to the what I have always said, the adult responsibility of eating. It's the phrase that I've always used. So she talks about it as having re regular, reliable, rewarding meals and snacks. That is the backbone of a competent eater's relationship with food. So again, I'm going to say it again. Okay, great. <laughs> regular, reliable, rewarding meals and snacks. So in order to actually get that, there's a lot to do. Carter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's hard. <laughs> Tell me about Really? <laughs> yes. Like, like what? What do you, When I say there's a lot to do, um, what do you think are some of these contextual skills? I just had a memory of being at Opal and one of my awesome former coworkers mm -hmm. saying something like, 
how are people bringing like these really elaborately beautiful lunches? Like I'm just have like my sliced cheese in a paper bag with this random cucumber that is a little bit uh, <laughs> and like I've, I have all this random stuff and I'm like cannot figure out the time in my life to compose something that mm-hmm. is really exciting. Yeah, It's just like. I got to go to the grocery store sometime. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> and I, I remember laughing about that and being in sort of a chaotic time in my life, too, yeah. and feeling like, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how normal people figure out how to get enough food at home all the time and know what they're going to make with it and do any sort of I, – I hear it as like meal planning yeah. needs to happen. Okay. And yes. I know that I know that you're not that much of a meal planner, so I'm curious about <laughs> If you listen to what, Eating Styles? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, our Eating Styles episode, we talked about sort of how we deal with these skills, actually. Mm -hmm. So listen to that if you haven't. But Julie, yes, like how would you contextualize contextual skills (laughs) in all of this? Yes, I think that if contextual skills are the backbone of eating competence, it's because we have to be able to have the skills to procure food. So like go and get the food. We then have to be able to cook the food. and then. Maybe I don't know where meal planning comes in there, right? It's I guess it's before the maybe the shopping and the cooking, whatever, all that could be. So, <laughs> but we need to have those actions in place and in some sort of regular, structured way. And that structure, if we have that food accessible to us, we have it available to us. We have the skills to cook it and prepare it. We have an environment, even just like a table or chair or island or, you know, something to sit at and eat and have a plate and fork and (laughs) those things that then allow for there to be the playing out of our food acceptance and our eating attitudes. But if there is no food in the house and there's no time or structure given to eating, then it's going to be hard to actually develop some of these other areas of of eating competence. And then when it's not, given the time of day, I think that we have to recognize that eating takes eating, not just eating the act of eating, but like all the other things that lead up to the time of eating takes up time, energy, resource, right? Finances. And we just have to give time to this to be able to set ourselves up to actually eat. I always get somewhat overwhelmed at sort of the the potential roadblocks around that, knowing that there are so many people that are working so hard and don't have time or food deserts or like that it's just really hard to get all of this right. Yeah. And to figure out how to get a structure in place. Yeah. But speaking of kind of what the ideal would be, how would you imagine – these contextual skills playing out for a parent that was able to, best case scenario, go through all those steps and spend time on it. Yeah. I think even just a first step is recognizing, well, what what foods are you eating? Mm-hmm. Where are you getting them and when and how? And then determining that even if it's the trying to say that you're going to have a meal, just the value. She, Ellen Satter has done other work around the value of the family meal and how it's predictive for all sorts of whole body health, like mental, emotional, behavioral health of humans is to have family meals. So even one of the basic steps is to say, okay, well, what are all those things that you already have in your house or that you might be more prone to be able to afford or have access to? And then call it a meal. Come together, 
And don't just put it on the counter and say, eat whenever to everybody that's in your household, but call it a meal. That's something that maybe is like, okay, we're all here. Hey, let's pause for a moment and eat together. So maybe it's not even anything new other than just that moment. And that in and of itself could start to change some of these other avenues of eating competence, right? So if somebody isn't doing the adult responsible things with food, uh, oftentimes people can just default to underfeeding themselves, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, right? It could be in a disordered way for other motives, or it could just be unintentionally in sort of this careless, mindless, oh, well, shrug the shoulders, I didn't have food for dinner tonight, oh, well, kind of thing. Uh, But regardless of the motive, one is underfed. And that has its impact. Um, and then what, you know, we talk about this a lot in our overall in our food philosophy is just that when underfed, then what do we do? We end up getting food eventually because we are going to be compulsive. We're going to just act out on our human need for food. And, and then the behaviors we do with food there might feel a little out of control and be compulsive and chaotic. And so know that that's the trickle down effect. If there are isn't effort put forth to build contextual skills and to have some structure around our eating, we can end up having all sorts of messiness around our patterns around food and eating. In the treatment environment, there is a natural way that we as the treatment center or providers are creating just some of that structure and doing some of that adult responsible work to hopefully model and give the body that regular, reliable rewarding meals and snacks. And then we have within our treatment, you know, the grocery shopping that we do weekly and we have weekend meal planning that then they're sitting down and they're thinking through what they want to plan and eat and and then making their grocery list for it. And even I know as a dietitian, I love to plan around the like, what dishes do you have again? Or what's that, what's the eating environment that you have? Um, so I think budgeting around food is a really important skill to have that helps with the contextual skills. So yes, in treatment, people are also learning the skills to be able to build on that, to do it on their own. But it's a learning curve. It's a learning curve for lots of young adults, people that are going off to college for the first time. I think that's a time where people are stretched to see, what have I learned about Mm -hmm. (laughs) feeding myself, Um, shopping and cooking? Or even post-college if you're someone that's been, you know, eating in community, always in a dining hall or something, suddenly you still have to go get food. You're not just walking to the dining hall. Now you're having to purchase the food and it's not limitless. Some prep and and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the – it definitely matters in the – every day for for folks. And just to sort of link it to what I said earlier, which is that the contextual skills are this backbone for allowing for the food acceptance and eating attitudes to really flourish. Think about that, right? So if we don't have regular, reliable, rewarding meals and snacks, then how could we develop enjoyment or have sort of like a calm eating experience or even be able to have like my call to action around eating attitudes of like, pause and think about what it is that you might think, you know, we, we, we're not, that's very luxurious, right? Mm-hmm. You can do that. So I understand that this is pivotal and my mind is right now going to poverty and like inability to have access to food and the barriers to that. And I, I do want to name that there is that tension with knowing that 
many people have some really significant barriers to being able to provide this as a parent and maybe even also a barrier to providing it for themselves. And I know that Ellen Satter has worked with many, many people in all sorts of different walks of life. And I do believe there's always that one next step and do believe that there are still ways to put some of this into practice. But I don't want it to be thought that this is just easy for everyone and that there aren't some bigger systemic issues that do impact the application of these for for some. I'd be curious what you would think about some of the initiatives that Michelle Obama and others have had around emphasizing gardening and emphasizing these sort of whole foods for people when actually maybe the easiest thing is the McDonald's on the corner. It, it is such a complicated issue. I think that food access is something that I can't say that I'm an expert in knowing, okay, what really is the root of this and what's going to be the solution? If I did, of course, I would be in a different place in my career, you know. But so many of those initiatives demonize certain foods. And that's the part that is the hardest for me to get on board with. And that's that's where I stop. Like, I, I can't support it if there's going to be a value of the fresh vegetables above the canned or above the fast food or above the convenience store at the Shell station. Like, I just can't do it because I know that everybody has different ability to get to different kinds of foods. And I believe that we, when we are having the conversation around eating competence, it's about the how of eating. It's not about the what of eating. And so I still know that the connection to oneself that eating competency calls people to do is something that not everybody does. And maybe not every farmer does. And maybe not everybody, every urban teenager does. I don't know. And so the call is still the same. And I do think that that's more the answer, not the what of the food. I love that. Yeah. I love that. There's community in both places, I guess, is the thing that I think of, too, is like the connection and community and story and upbringing. Like, yeah, I think of the urban teenager that's connected to the corner store and all the childhood memories of that. That's important. Those foods you can't rip out of that person's life. And then for somebody that's connected to the farm and has that, like, great. Like, that's your story with food. And that's what brings health and wellness and eating competency for you. So I I just see both being the path. And I, I want to believe and I, yeah, that this can be applicable to each. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like the phrase that this is about context, mm-hmm. right? Because it takes into account the fact that you have mm. a particular context yeah. and you yeah. are needing to function to find sort of the contextual skills within that yeah. that context. Yeah. Yeah. I know, too, it's important to say even regular, reliable, rewarding meals and snacks. She's very intentional in the words that she chooses. Yeah. So I like that because it's not saying it's three meals or it's two meals or it's what it, it's sometimes she says it's munching along. There are different styles of eaters, but there's also different lifestyles. Yes. Yes, there really are. (laughs) So, of course, there are going to be the people that are going to eat a large meal in between two shifts of work that they have to do because that is the way that their life is. And then there are going to be the people that can have breakfast, lunch and dinner and pause and have breaks to do snacks. And that's the way their life goes. And we can't allow for one to be better than the other. I feel like I have an understanding of what regular and reliable refer to. Oh, okay. But rewarding is an interesting word to me Mm. in this context. Okay. What do you think about that? I think it just links back to the enjoyment, the food acceptance skills and appetite that what is it going to 
be that sends you back to it. Mm. Sends you back to eating. Yeah. 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 And can satiation have a, a place within that idea of rewarding? Like I think about regular, reliable, and like rewarding mm. as in it's you, Yummy. you actually got full. <laughs> like it's like healing. Yeah, yeah. You got full yeah. and you had something that maybe mm. was delicious, but if not delicious, it at least was filling. It gave you the energy for the next thing in life too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. Thanks. I like that. <laughs> sure. What haven't we covered within this? When I think about the parent-feeding child relationship, parents will at some point want to know, but okay, so I am in charge of the what. So you're saying I'm shopping. I'm the parent shopping. And I'm the one going through the grocery store. So then what? Like how do I decide then what to eat and how do I do this thing? I want for parents to know that beyond our upbringing and culture and religion and the traditions and those food things, that we can take in some information around nutrition and we can incorporate some of the basic knowledge around that into how we might feed our families. And so recognize that, sure, you know, serving fruits and vegetables, you know, most of the times that you're sitting down and feeding your family, if you like to do that because you're going, oh, that's fresh food, it has vitamins and minerals naturally in them, then that's great. Like, that's <laughs> your beliefs and values, right, that kind of connect to it. Or if there's a, I don't know, I think of uh, a nutritional principle of eating seasonal fresh, again, in the produce thing, maybe, like seasonal fresh produce, Okay, why? Well, it's fresh. It's just maybe local. It has more natural nutrients right there. It didn't, it's not transported. You didn't lose nutrients in processing. Maybe you're connecting to a local farmer or whatever. That is something that is also potentially something that you care about as a family or you care about as a person. And so just recognize that you can put that into practice and you can choose to eat seasonal in terms of the different produce that you have. I think that putting basic nutritional principles into play of going, oh, you know, all apples for a meal isn't necessarily a meal, right? I mean, I, getting back to the real basics, you know, so Ellen Satter breaks it down. If you want to read more, I'm not going to get into the nuance, <laughs> right? Of just, But just generally saying is like, you can still put some of that basic stuff. Well, should I have like something that has some protein and something that has some carbs and, you know, yeah, you can do that still. Like, Put some new basic nutritional principles into play when you're choosing what you're going to buy and how you're meal planning and all that stuff. But also, I just, as I always say, like, don't lose track of what it is that you know is going to make it really enjoyable and delightful and tasty. I like that that is sort of a call to not overthink it. Did I say it in way too many words? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think okay. you said it really well because I, cause I think that this is about both having freedom and discipline. Right. That mm -hmm. you're you're able to really take the structure that we're talking about and having these contextual skills and both choose foods with freedom and with some discipline. If you mm -hmm. have a version of that in your mind to have something that's like a, a framework mm -hmm. like, OK, yeah, I want to have a meal that's filling in these particular ways. Like yeah. that'll be the discipline to plan this meal on this meal. Yeah. And also that just looks really good. So I'll get that, too. Yeah. Can be sort of all of the above. And as you talk about that, I think that the word comes to my mind is experimenting. And so if somebody is interested in nutrition and is somebody who listens to the news and reads the thing that talks about nutrition, you know, take it in, maybe experiment with that new thing. So I, I don't know, there's food trends always, right? And so then this thing is being touted as the powerful nutritional superfood right now. And my encouragement is, 
see if you can afford it, see if it's accessible to you, cook it a couple different ways, taste it and see if you like it, and then choose to continue to eat it or not. But (laughs) don't take it as a to-do that it's the new superfood. I I think it's an important differentiation to I am going to be always eating the most nutritious food or something. But instead, just going, yeah, you can take in some nutrition information that's out there, but take it in a grain of salt and personalize it. Allow it to be yours and see if it really works for you. Thank you so much for joining us for part three of this part four series. Join us next time for our final part of the series where we talk about internal regulation skills. This is kind of where the rubber hits the road. So make sure you tune into that one. If you want to follow along in the meantime, first of all, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast so that you are up to date on our releases. Feel free to leave us a review so others that are interested in non-diet approaches to food and sport and mental health can easily find us. If you want to follow along on social media, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Opal Food and Body. And if you want to learn more about Opal's programming, our PHP, IOP, and outpatient programs, and even some of our events in the community, make sure to go to opalfoodandbody.com. Thank you so much to Daniel Gunther at Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. And thank you for listening. Join us next time. Bye.